good. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this topic, the Christian's confidence. The Christian's confidence. You know, we live in a time when, quite frankly, we can't be confident of most anything. Yeah, most of us, you're, you're like me, you grew up in a time where if you looked out there across the parking lot and you saw a human figure walking across the parking lot, and I know uh, I'm probably fixing to get us put in Facebook jail um, and, or something, uh, or edited or whatever, but if you looked out across that parking lot and you saw a human figure, and that human figure had hair down to about, forget about the hair. They'd be bald-headed. But there's walking out across that parking. But you ain't going, Kenny, don't get, don't get too caught up in this illustration. You ain't going to like where it's going. But you looked out across that parking lot and you saw somebody walking across that parking lot in a dress and high heels. Told you. Uh, you, most of you grew up in a time when you would have been 100% confident that was what? A woman. A woman. You can't do that no more. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the bad thing is, in the world we live in, they may not even know. Yeah. They, there's people who don't know. They don't even know what they are. They can't figure it out. Yeah. They, uh, they tell me that now, uh, if you go to choose your gender on Facebook, you have 80-some choices. What I was told, I hadn't checked it out because I didn't need but one. Yeah, well, Facebook says there's 80-some. You know, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just, we just live in a time where you can't be real confident. But let's be even more blunt. There was a time when if a man came into the pulpit and laid his Bible down and said, I'm going to preach to you, you knew that he was going to preach from the Bible. <laughs> you can't be sure of that anymore. We, we just have come to a time when most of the things we were once upon a time confident in, uh, we can't be confident in anymore. But I want you to see this morning in this text that even in prison, even the possibility of death hanging over his head, Paul was confident of several things. And that's what a believer, a child of God, can have. And that's why we talk about Philippians and uh, the, the background I picked here uh, with the big smiley face and happiness on it. That's why generally if you ask someone what the theme of Philippians is, it's joy. Now, there's some debate about that. You could tweak that just a little bit. But generally speaking, the book of Philippians is about Christian joy. Well, how do you have joy? You have joy when you are confident. Uh, if you're not confident, it's hard to have joy. Uh, it's hard to be real happy when you don't have confidence. If I was standing here on this stage, and sometimes I worry about it, I don't know if y'all can hear it or not, but every time I move, uh, we put more screws in this thing and everything else. But every time I move, it squeaks. And you know, if I, But I am confident it'll hold me because I watched them build it. Uh, and I'm also confident that if it falls, it ain't that big a fall. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I, if I didn't have any confidence in this stage as I stood here, it'd be hard to stand here and smile at you while I talk to you. Uh, yeah, 
Confidence is, is a deal breaker. I mean, it means everything. And a Christian can be confident uh, of a few things. And Paul's going to talk about them uh, here in these last uh, closing verses uh, of chapter 1. Uh, and I want you to see them this morning. And I want you to ask yourself uh, a question uh, at each one of these. Am I confident as well? Do I have that confidence that Paul had? I know we look at Paul, uh, the author of the majority of the New Testament, and we think about Paul as being super Christian. You know, you know Paul, the, you know, he ran around uh, you know, the Middle East, there. he ran around Asia with an with a S on his chest and a cape. He was, you know, super Christian. But I want to tell you something. Paul was serving the same Jesus you should be. Paul was saved by the same grace I am, and I can have the same confidence Paul had. And we should have that same confidence. First thing uh, that Paul writes about here uh, and in this passage is, uh, is this. Notice, and we're going to back up, and we're going to pick up the last few words of verse 18. Paul says this at the end of verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because he's confident of these three things. He says there, he says, I will rejoice, for I know. I like that word. I know. Not I hope, not I think, not I believe, but I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed uh, at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is sure of this one thing. And you and I need to have this same confidence. Paul is sure of his deliverance. Paul is sure of his deliverance. Now, Paul had lost friends left and right. We talked last week in the passage last week. Even many inside the church themselves were coming against Paul. And the Romans were against Paul. Paul was on house arrest 24 hours a day. Uh, he stayed there for about uh, two years, uh, in fact, uh, on, uh, on arrest in that manner. Uh, and yet Paul says, I am confident of this thing. I know that I will be delivered. I will be delivered. I have that, uh, that confidence. And a confident Christian possesses the assurance of a happy ending. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean, as the Bible says, says all things work together for good to those that love Him and are called according to verse. Paul wasn't necessarily saying that this is good. But Paul was confident of this, that it would work out for the good. How many of you have ever baked a cake or been around baking a cake? Yeah, I don't think there is a single ingredient in the baking of a cake that tastes good by itself. The average cake. There may be one out there somewhere. But generally speaking... Yeah, probably one of the mistakes most of us made as a child was our mother, grandmother was baking and she had the vanilla flavoring out. And you took a whiff and said, that smells good. 
It does. But smell and taste don't always line up. Because you went and got you a spoon and said, or, or worse, I won't. You, know, you just turned the bottle up and then you spit all over your grandma's kitchen. Yeah. Because the vanilla flavoring on its own isn't real good. Cocoa, straight out of the can, will gag you. Sugar, straight out of the bowl. Flour, straight out of the bowl. Raw eggs. Yeah, those things by themselves are not good. But you know, if you're in the right hands, yeah, you know in the right hands, and some of you in here can testify to this fact because you have been blessed. You know that if you see my mother-in-law dig out the flour and the sugar and the whatever else, get back because there's going to be a happy ending. It's going to be. It's going to work out well. Yeah. It's going to turn out good. Yeah. She is going to make something's going to come out. Barbara back there's another good cook. Yeah. You know that when all that, I guarantee you, OJB, he sees Barbara digging out all them ingredients, his mouth goes to water. Yeah. Because you know, and that's what Paul is saying here. And a believer should be confident of that. It doesn't mean that everything we go through is good. Doesn't mean that everything we go through brings joy. But it means in the end, Paul believed that all of this was going to work out for the good of Jesus Christ. It was going to work out for the good of the kingdom. And the point of this verse is that that Paul believes that God will save him and deliver him from the criticism, the opposition. Everything that was coming against him, he was sure of God's help. And so Paul was confident of that. Paul was confident of that. I am amazed sometimes. And I guess I really shouldn't be, but sometimes I am absolutely amazed to visit in the hospital or the rest home or in the home of a shut-in. One, one comes to my mind off the top of my head, and, and some of you, most, probably most of you in here won't, won't remember her, but I, I remember going and visiting with Juanita Russ. And any of you who knew her, I know Diane Wood and a couple others in here, have spent time with Juanita. Juanita, I think, had every medical diagnosis but athlete's foot. And to make up for athlete's foot, she had a big ulcer on the hole on the bottom of her foot that they had to take care of. Juanita had just about everything that a human being could have. Shingles, you name it. She had it. But you know what? She was confident, and I heard it. Every, she was confident that God was going to take care of her. He was, she was confident of that. She believed that God was going to do that. Look what Paul says here in verse 20 when he says, It's my earnest or, or eager expectation. Paul says, I, I believe with all my heart. You know what it means? That word means to gaze out into the distance with your head up and outstretched. Think about that for a minute. That means that, I was talking about that, 
person walking through the parking lot a while ago. That means to come out here to the very edge of the stage and kind of, you know how you do when you want to, you know, you, that six inches makes all the difference in the world when you go from here to here. And you lean out here and really try to see that person. Paul says, I have my, my head erect like a, like a watchman would be on a tower. You imagine that watchman up on the tower of the city and he sees something off in the distance and he thinks it may be a threat to his city, it may be a threat to his wife and children in the city. That, work, that watchman, he's not going to sit back in his chair with his feet up on the wall. And kind of, he's going to get up and he's going to go out as far to the edge of that wall as he can get. He's going to lean, he's going to peer, he's going to squinch his eyes down and he's going put to put the eye on it. Trying to figure out and get an eye on it. That's what Paul says about what he believes. He says, I believe my deliverance is out there, and I'm just looking for it. I'm just waiting on it because I am confident my God will take care of me. I am confident that my God will take care of me. The concentrate with intensity is what the word means. Paul says, I am looking, I'm, I'm, turning my, I'm, I'm taking my eyes off of everything else. That watchman on that wall, he was reading the newspaper. He'd see something, you know what he does? He puts that newspaper down. He might have been turned around watching the kids inside the wall play a little game of tag or something. But he thinks he sees a threat out on the distance. He quits watching the kids, he quits reading the newspaper, and he focuses his eyes on the enemy, on the threat. Listen, a Christian, a confident Christian, has his eye focused on God and His deliverance. Now let me be careful and tell you, that doesn't, again, I've already said it, let me say that doesn't mean everything is perfect. But Paul believed that everything was going to work out for the good of the kingdom of God. See, there's a difference in believing everything's going to work out for my good and believing everything's going to work out for the good of the kingdom. He takes his eyes and he concentrates on that one thing that is out there. And look what his hope is, his expectation in verse 20. He says, it's my eager expectation, my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Paul says, Don't let me do anything that would embarrass the kingdom of God. Paul wasn't talking about his personal embarrassment. Paul was saying, even in prison, even in this situation, I'm going to keep my eyes... You know, he writes that a little later. about talking about pressing on towards the mark, towards the high calling. Paul says, I'm going to put my eyes out into the future, and I'm going to watch for the deliverance of God, and I don't want to do anything that would embarrass the kingdom. I don't want to do anything that would bring shame. I am confident of that. Paul here is in prison. Paul is charged with a capital crime. Paul is facing the death penalty. And if you were in prison and you were facing the death penalty, and you said, I have one hope, what would your one hope be? Be getting out of jail. 
to avoid the death penalty, right? Go back and read those verses and see if you see anywhere where Paul says, my hope is to get out of jail. My hope is to avoid the death penalty. Paul says, my hope, my earnest expectation is that everything I do, everything I say, I'm not worried about getting out of jail. I'm worried about staying in jail and embarrassing my God. Wherever, if I'm in jail or if they let me out of jail, I want to bring glory to God. That's what Paul says. He's confident of his deliverance. He believes that Paul, his goal is to magnify Christ. He says, I hope I'll not be ashamed with full courage. Jesus Christ will be honored. That's what he says. Paul doesn't say, I want these chains off my arms, my legs. I want to be allowed to go free. I want to preach again in the temple. I want to go back home. Paul says, I want to honor Christ. See his confidence? His confidence. Paul believes uh, that his, his, his mission, he wants to... Uh, to honor Christ. And look what he says here. He says, I'll do that. Be honored. And then look at those last few words. Whether by life or death. Paul says, whether I live or die, I want to honor God. I'm reminded of the story of the great church father, Polycarp, who was arrested for his faith, condemned to be burned at the stake. They took him out to the stake And typically the fashion was they would tie them to the stake and then light the fire and burn them as they they were in struggle against it. When they took him out to the stake, when they took him out and they went to tie him, he said, don't bother tying me. He's been faithful to me all these years. How can I fail him now? Folks, I ain't got that kind of faith. I'm just telling you that right now. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of confidence. And I believe if God can give it to a man named Polycarp, if you've got that kind of name and God will give you that kind of faith and confidence, surely He'll give it to somebody named James. Or Kevin. Or Tommy. God still gives that kind of faith. We can still have that kind of confidence. Like Paul had. He was confident of his deliverance. This, notice what he says. And the word that he uses there uh, when, when he says um, that he, he will be full courage, uh, that he will be delivered. The word that he uses there uh, is not talking about physical deliverance. It's the word that is typically used to talk about salvation. In other words, Paul said this, I'm confident I'm in my master's hands. I'm confident that I'm taking care of. Paul was confident of his ultimate deliverance. Caesar had no say-so in it. Caesar had no say-so. He was confident in what God was going to do. Folks, I want to tell you something. And I believe this with all my heart. If Jesus doesn't come back real soon, you better be praying for that kind of confidence right here in the United States of America. You better be praying for the kind of confidence that says, I don't care what the government says. I want to honor Jesus Christ. We better be praying for that confidence 
That God was going to stand by us. That we believe that. And we're going to stand true no matter what the law says. No matter what the government says. Listen, we better be praying, working on that kind of confidence. Developing that kind of confidence. The word magnify that Paul uses there. John Phillips says it means to make great or enlarge. To make great or enlarge. Can I tell you why God needs magnifying? I'm going to paraphrase what Philip says in his commentary. God needs magnifying and made great or large because the average person's view of Jesus Christ is way too small. The average view of Jesus Christ is way too small. Folks, we serve a death-defeating disease-destroying, returning, sin-conquering Savior. We don't need to have no little view of Jesus Christ. We need to have a big view. Folks, we serve a big God. We don't serve... That's why Paul could be confident. That's why Paul could have that kind of confidence, because he believed in a big God. He believed in a life-changing, life-altering God. That, that was what Paul believed in. He had that kind of confidence that, that God could do that and that God could bring the various aspects and facets and parts of his life together for the glory of God. Paul had that kind of confidence. Now you have confidence and his deliverance Look with me as we move on in these verses. He had confidence in his destiny. He is sure of his destiny. Look in verse uh, 21. As we move on there, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We just go home on that verse right there. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... Got some new Bible and the pages want to stick together. Give me a second here. There we go. That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. That is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul was sure, he was confident of his destiny. Paul says, I don't know which one it's going to be. I'm either going home to be with my Lord, or I'm going to stay here and work for my Lord. But it's going to be one of those two. Listen, can I tell you something? Hear me, hear me. That's the only two options you have as a believer. Should be. Either I'm going home to be with the Lord, or I'm going to stay here and work for the Lord. That's the only, that, listen, those ought to be the only two options in a Christian's mind. I'm going home to be with him, or I'm going to stay here with him and work. That's it. Everything else is just fluffernutter. Doesn't matter. All this. Either go home, Paul says, I don't know which it's going to be. I'm torn. i got two choices. 
to go home and be with him or to stay here and, and help y'all and work for him. Paul was confident of this. Paul was confident of his destiny, whether in life or death. He says, my destiny. You know what Paul's destiny is? Two words. Two words. Paul's destiny. Two words. A name. Two words. I think I heard it. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Paul's destiny. Whether I'm here or there, my destiny is Jesus Christ. That was, his, he was, that was his confidence. Paul was sure of that. Are you sure of that today? Are you confident of that this morning? That if I stay here, I'm going to work for him. If I go there, I'm going to live with him. I'm confident of that fact. That, that's the confidence that Paul had. Ask yourself some of these questions. Why am I living? Why am I living? What's my purpose for being here? Work? Family? What's your purpose for being here? What does life mean to you? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that question. What is your great purpose in life? Can I tell you today that my conversations with the average person, the average professing believer, is they can't answer that question. What is your great purpose in life? They can't answer any one of those questions. Paul could. Paul said, in life, it's Jesus Christ. In death, it's Jesus Christ. That's my purpose. That's my goal. That's what I am put here for. Listen, I want to tell you something. I'll go back to what John Phillips says about this. He says, everybody lives for something. Everybody lives for something. Everybody for something. It may be your job. It may be fame. You know, we see it all around us. You know, everybody lives for something. What is it? What is it in your life? For most people, if they were to make the statement that Paul just made, they would say, for me to live is pleasure. For me to live is work. For me to live is money. For me to live is family. Listen, if you put anything in that blank other than for me to live is Jesus Christ, your life is messed up. Your values and your priority are messed up. Can I tell you something? If you say for me to live as family, that sounds great. That sounds good. Love your family. Take care of your family. It's biblical. No problem. But I want to tell you something. If you say for me to live as family, you're not taking care of your family the way God intended you to do. Because... When you put Jesus Christ first, you automatically will begin to take care of your family. When you put Jesus Christ first, all those other things have a magical way of just lining up and getting where they need to be. 
Paul says, for me to live is Christ. For me, listen, if I was in Paul's shoes, it might have sounded something like this. For me to live is get out of this jail. For me to live is go home. For me to live is to have these charges dropped. But Paul knew. He was confident of his destiny. And he knew that if for him to live was Jesus Christ, then the jail would be taken care of. The charges would be taken care of. Home would be taken care of. Paul says, I know my destiny. I'm confident of the plan God has for my life. For me to live is Christ. As long as He's alive, Paul says, I'm going to be concerned with the values the goals, the mission of Jesus Christ. Paul in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 20, says this. Excuse me, 2, verse 20. says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live. Paul says, I live. My destiny is Jesus Christ, whether I live or die. Whether I live or die or die. My destiny is Jesus Christ. He's sure of his deliverance. He's sure of his destiny. Finally, he says, I am sure of my duty. I am sure of my duty. Look what he says in these last two verses. In verse 25, convinced. You see all these words Paul keeps using? He may not say uh, that uh, it's confidence, but he uses all kinds of words here that say the same thing. I am convinced of this. I know. There's another one. I will remain and continue with you uh, for your progress um, and joy in the faith, so that in you may have, so that in me you may have uh, ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Again, Paul says, I also am confident of my duty. Paul says, hear what he says. Here's a man. Never forget this. Never. Whether it's while I'm preaching it or ten years from now if you're reading this book. Never forget. Paul was under arrest. Faced with the death penalty. And he says, I am confident of my deliverance. I am confident of my destiny. I am confident of my duty. Paul says, I'm confident of one thing, that my task is to help you in the faith. My task is to help you in the faith. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in the first verse when we talked about Paul and Timothy, that one of Paul's main functions during his life was to disciple and to train up Timothy. One of Paul's main functions was not just discipling and training up Timothy. One of Paul's main functions was discipling and training up believers everywhere. Paul says, my duty, my responsibility. Folks, here it is. Your responsibility. My responsibility. My responsibility is to help Debbie Wilson grow in her faith in Jesus Christ. So is yours. Look beside Look to your left. Look to your right. That person beside of you, you are responsible for helping that person grow in their faith. You're responsible for not being a stumbling block 
That's what Paul's already said in this verse. I don't want to do anything that would cause someone else to stumble in their faith. I am confident of my duty. I am confident of why God has put me here. For me to live as Christ so that I can help someone else live for Christ. I am confident of this very thing. That God has left me here to witness to these guards, to live for Jesus Christ, so that when these guards come into my room, I can talk to them about Jesus, and they can go out, and they can live for Jesus, and they can share with their brothers and sisters, their spouse, their children, and they can live for Jesus. I am confident of my responsibility. I know why I am here. I know why I am here. I hear this many times especially for people as they age. And I'm not taking a shot of age. I'm right there with you, okay? But I hear this especially from people as they age. I don't know why God has left me here. Can I answer that question for you this morning? If you are a child of God, God has left you here to live for Jesus Christ and to help someone else live for Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It really is. If you are here, and you say, I don't know what I'm here for, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He has left you here to give you one more day one more opportunity to hear the good news, to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection, the saving blood, the saving grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ, so you can be saved and you can live for Jesus. Amen. That's, listen, it's that simple. I am confident of that. I'm with Paul. I am confident of those statements. I don't know if it's going to rain today. I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch. I don't know much of anything. The older I get, the more I realize how little I do know. And in case I ever get confused, i got four children to remind me. Because they think they know everything. Anybody else? But this I know and nobody can convince me otherwise. If you're a child of God, you're here to live for Christ. And if you don't know Him as Christ, know Him as Savior, you're here so you can. Paul says, I know what my duty is. My duty is to help you. To help you live for Jesus. To help you to be uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice, Paul doesn't say... If you look at verse 25 and 26 again, Paul doesn't say, I believe I'm going to live so I can have a good time. Paul doesn't say, I know, I believe I'm going to live so I can go see my grandkids. Paul doesn't say, I believe I'm going to live so I can buy a new boat. Paul doesn't say, I know, I believe I'm going to live because I want to get my retirement package. Paul says, I believe I'm going to live because God's got a job for me. And I know what that job is, and I'm going to do it. The point here is to see Paul's heart. Several weeks before Andrew Chong, he was a 
beloved physician. He'd been an elder in his church several weeks before he actually passed away. He was taken to a hospital in Chicago. And the reason, the purpose for his visit was he already had some stents in his heart. Most of you here are familiar with, with those. And he was there because they were getting, the stents themselves were getting clogged up and blocked. And they were going to try to go in and clean out the stents and remove any rubble or whatever that was causing the, the blockage in his stents. And it was a very tedious, um, invasive type procedure that they were going to do. And after several hours of working on him, the physician, the surgeon comes out to his family that was gathered there and tells them, we're not able to proceed. We couldn't get him unblocked. There's just too much bleeding, and he will never survive if we continue to try to unblock the stents. Of course, if we don't unblock them, he's not going to survive long. So I suggest you call whoever you love, whoever's important, and if they want to see him alive, they get here as quick as possible. You've all probably been there. So his family comes, they gather around his bed, all of his children and family, and they're all crying and saying their goodbyes and telling him how much they love him. And he was beginning to come out of his uh, anesthesia. And he started making a, a strange motion to him because he was in a lot of pain and still kind of woozy from the anesthesia, um, unable to speak because of the hoses and everything else. And as he could see his family's tears and their concern, they finally realized that he was asking for a pen. They finally realized he was wanting something to write on and write with. And so they skirted around and they got him a pen and a piece of paper. He's still woozy and he's unable to really write real neatly or in a straight line. But with great care and hesitation, he wrote 12 words in a column. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. When he finished with great deliberation and care, so they made sure to spell it correctly and write it legibly under those words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He carefully wrote this word. Hallelujah. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. More importantly than anything he would write in his last will and testament were those 12, 13 words. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. More than all the money he could leave him. More than the possessions. More than anything else the great doctor could leave. To leave his family with that assurance for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. For me to live. Paul in the next chapter is going to tell the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 17. He's going to tell them, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Dr. Chong had reached all the way back to these words of Paul and made it his own and punctuated it with hallelujah, which simply means, if you don't know what the word hallelujah means, it means praise the Lord. Are you that confident today that to lay on your deathbed, to lay there with your family gathered around, with your children weeping at your bedside, that you could say those words for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This morning, if you're in this room, joining me online, it's not about how much offering you've given to the church. It's not about how many Bible verses you have memorized. It's not about whether or not you come to church. It is how you finish the sentence. For me to live is... If you don't know Him today, in just a moment, we're going to sing. I want you to step out. We'll show you. Don't be embarrassed. Some of you have been in church all your life and you say they'll laugh at me. No, they won't. The angels in heaven will rejoice with you. If you don't know Him today, if you can't say for me to live is Christ, would you step out? If you're a believer, how are you filling in that blank? How would you answer that question? My purpose in life is... I'm confident of my deliverance. I'm confident of my destiny. I'm confident of my duty. Can you say that this morning? If you're joining us online, send us an email. Make a comment in, in the post. Something. We'll reach out to you. Don't let the sun set on this day till you can say with confidence, I'm sure of my deliverance my destiny, and my duty. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we ask you today that everyone in this room would lay their soul bare before you. And God, they would answer that simple question. They would fill in that blank. For me to live is Christ.
for me to live is Christ. God, touch our hearts here today. Change us, and we'll give you the honor for it all. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.